Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. And I'm Charles. And in today's episode, we're going to continue our series of episodes in which we're profiling and previewing each of the 10 F1 teams and their drivers. It's a reverse grid lineup in reverse order of the 2021 constructor standings. And today, at long last, I feel like we need trumpets or something, uh, we are finally up to the second and first place teams from 2021, Red Bull and Mercedes. Just in time, um, which yes. colors our analysis today, too. I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. That's right. We'll have uh, some bonus commentary because uh, we, it's uh, during the Bahrain uh, practice today, practice sessions one and two, so we got a little sneak peek. Before we begin, we want to say thanks again to our friend Kay Strobes for letting us use a clip of his song, No Michael, No No. If you'd like to hear the whole track or even buy a copy of the track for yourself, check out our episode notes where you'll see links to do that. Charles, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Not bad. I was glad to see uh, some cars on track today for uh, practice one and two in Bahrain. Yeah, and and, uh, we're getting some more information now, too. We really don't know. We really won't know anything till tomorrow in qualifying, but it's uh, starting to uh, at least show us what uh, this year may be stacked up like. And on that note, we have a couple updates. I think uh, that's right. I mentioned last episode that Hulkenberg had been at some point pushed out of Formula One by Daniel Ricciardo, and now he's got a, received his next sub assignment, um, stepping in for Vettel, who's uh, down with COVID. Yeah, we thought Magnuson was uh, jumping in at the last hour, and uh, it's kind of a hold my beer. Uh, here comes Hulkenberg <laughs> a week later, with uh, the day before uh, uh, practice, and yeah. jumps in. Pretty amazing. It's pretty crazy. And Ferrari uh, came out and finally said, uh, we think we've closed that apparently 25 horsepower gap they had to Honda and Mercedes last year, and you know before from. So we talked a bit about that last yeah. episode, and I thought that was worth uh, mentioning. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. We'll start with Red Bull. So the Red Bull team was established in 2005. Red Bull has, had, of course, been in F1. The brand was, was visible in F1 before then because they had sponsored the Sauber team for, I think, 10 years before that. So having started in 2005, the Red Bull team's now won uh, four Constructors' Championships, one consecutively 2010 to 2013, and four Drivers' Championships, one consecutively those same years. Uh, by Sebastian Vettel. They have a Honda power unit. Team principal is uh, Christian Horner, the feisty and uh, Toto Wolf obsessed Christian Horner, some might Apparently say. Apparently they're, they're friends again, so. Yeah. <laughs> All, we'll all's see. good. Yeah. And of course, the driver's lineup is uh, reigning F1 driver's champion Max Verstappen, asterisk, and Sergio <laughs> no, no, Perez. No we have a button here for an automated uh, robotic voice asterisk. I'm going to be pressing that a lot today. That was a pretty darn good pretty robotic good. asterisk. Yeah. And I'll just touch on Red Bull's uh, performance in the Constructors' Championship last five years. 2017, they finished third. 2018, third. 19, third. 2020, up to second. And last year, uh, again, second place. Um, it's worth noting last year it was very tight between Red Bull and Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. came down to the last race. But really, last year was the first year they were really challenging for the world title. Strangely enough, they had some sort of high-altitude advantage, and, and there were isolated races during the seasons. Maybe sometimes at the end of the season they developed really well, and then they would get, get quick. But last year was the first time over the whole balance of a season 
of course, since the Vettel era, that they could actually t- challenge for the world title. And they didn't win it, but they, yeah, like you said, it was pretty, pretty darn close. Yeah, darn close. Um, and then Ferrari, of course, was a distant third. So, yeah, really the battle was between uh, Red Bull and Mercedes. Uh, Charles, anything else before we turn to the drivers? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> Red Bull's a known quantity at this yeah. point for the most part. Um, so let's uh, let's get into the drivers. All right. We'll start with uh, Max Verstappen. Again, reigning F1 drivers champion. He's 24 years old, born September 30th, 1997. He's Dutch. And like some other drivers, he's the son of a former F1 driver, Jos Verstappen. Yeah, we got a few of those now. Yeah. I'm trying to think who we had. Uh, we Ma- oh, Magnussen. Magnussen. Um, there is another one. Oh, Schumacher, of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah, Magnussen, Schumacher, Verstappen. Yeah. I think that's about it for them. Yeah. And I'll just briefly summarize his F1 career. Debuted in F1 in 2015 at the age of 17. Raced for Toro Rosso in 2015. And then early on in the 2016 season, he's promoted to Red Bull. And of course, has raced with Red Bull since then. Sorry, I thought you yeah, were going to. Yeah, sort of all, sort of all she wrote. Once he moved up to Red Bull, starts winning, and yeah. it did take a quite a few years to get the world championship. But that's yep. not right. Verstappen has 141 career F1 starts, 60 podiums, 20 wins, and career F1 points 1,557.5. And his performance in the drivers' championship uh, the last five years. 2017, he was sixth. 2018, up to fourth. 2019, up to third. 2020, third again. And of course, last year, first. Asterisk. <laughs> that is a pretty damn good robot <laughs> robot voice, though. He began karting at four and a half. Um, he did his first race at seven, but his dad bought oh. him a cart um, at four and a half. So I guess he was doing some beginning training there. And then he stepped in at seven and won his first uh, race. Had an unprecedented karting career, uh, won a couple world titles, um, I think in a combination of a couple titles that uh, no one had ever won before. Uh, anyway, steps into cars just for a single year. Uh, he was third in 2014 European F3 Championship. Uh, it was the year Ocon won. I think Verstappen had a number of retirements um, at Ocon, but they both had a lot of wins too. Verstappen, I think, had 10 wins, Ocon 9. So he only did one year in cars before he stepped up to Formula One the next the next season. One year yeah, in cars? Kind of like the LeBron James. I feel like it's like that's the equivalent in motorsports or Formula One of going from high school straight to the NBA, right? Yeah. You're never going to go straight from a cart to Formula One car. Sure. Um, but like Kimi Räikkönen, I think, I don't remember how many years Räikkönen did, but it was you know a year, a year and a half in cars. Uh, Verstappen tested a bit the year before. Um, he did F3, but pretty much one, uh, one year in cars, and then you're in a Formula One car. Um, That's not a amazing. Lot of, yeah. I had not appreciated that about Verstappen. So just F3 in 2014, and then straight to F1 in yep, 2015. straight into wow. F1, yeah. So high school to the NBA. That's pretty much yeah. what it is. And that might course, be like... Eighth grade to the uh, that might be like eighth grade to the NBA. <laughs> I mean that's insane. Yeah, and F three cars are pretty big, pretty big machine. But you know, he didn't even win F three. No, he's just third in, in F three. But he had a lot of. Uh, well, he had like these, like I said, he had a, a huge cart career. And I mean, you know, yeah. if I'm talking like these guys are professional at ten during their car careers, you know, you know, he was like 
born to do this, bred to do yeah. this. You know, he starts at such a young age, but his dad was Yas Verstappen. You know, and you know, I don't know if the stories are true, but it's you, you hear the things about like like the Tiger Woods. You know right. that you know that Yas was really like just ingraining everything in him and raising him to be a world champion. I mean, he was yeah. born and bred for it. Yeah. Um, so he, that's all he needed. You know, clearly he didn't need any more than a year. And right. Um, yeah. Just pretty exceptional all around. Okay. Well, let's uh, turn to Perez. Perez is 32 years old, born January 26th, 1990. He's Mexican. Uh, brief summary of his F1 career. Debuted in F1 in 2011 with Sauber. Drove for Sauber 2011-2012 over to McLaren just for 2013, then to force India for 2014 to 2020. It became racing point uh, at the tail end of that. And then over to Red Bull in uh, 2021, of course, where he helped Verstappen win his um, first championship. Perez has 214 career F1 starts, 15 podiums, two wins, and 896 career F1 points. And just to recap his performance in the Drivers' Championship last five years, 2017, he was seventh. 2018, down to eighth. 2019, slides back to 10th. Uh, 2020, fourth. And then 2021, fourth. Yeah, you'd think he would have uh, had a few more wins um, maybe last year. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see this year if he can uh, pick up a couple more uh, if Red Bull has the car they, they had last year, which it looks like they, they might. It does. And so Perez started karting at the age of six, so he did get a pretty early start. Just a little bit of his highlights. Fourth in British Formula 3 in 2008. He was second in GP2 in 2010. He kind of had, a, it seemed like a long, long junior career, but that second in GP2 is what propelled him into Formula 1. Um, Pastor Maldonado actually won that season of GP2 and did end up winning a Formula 1 race for Williams. Um, it's a sore subject for me because Maldonado is one of the drivers that people refer to as a paid driver a lot, and he kind of has that label. He won a race in Formula 1. I think you, you need right. to lose your paid driver label. Yeah. Then, And I, I know we'll, we'll have to do an episode about paid drivers. I, I'm sure that's not the first time I've said that. But, yeah, um, yeah Pastor was uh, GP2 champion in 2010, so that's not the CV of a paid driver. But, right. <laughs> but I digress. Right. So his second place in GP2 in 2010 is what bumped Perez up into Formula 1. And, of course, okay. GP2 is, uh, you know, what F2 is called now. Same, mm. same series. Mm -hmm. In 2021, Perez's best finish was P1 uh, in Azerbaijan, Baku. And his best qualifying position was P2 uh, at Imola. Not, 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 uh... oh, he had no poles last year. No poles, yeah, just the uh, the P2 in Imola, and then uh, a few P3s in qualifying. Uh, and we, we know how he yeah. struggled last year to adapt to the car. I think we've talked about that a bit before. but um, Yeah, it was his first year yeah. at Red Bull. So. You would have expected more, but, you know, we know why why it wasn't there. And I think this year, it, you know, we'll, we'll probably see more of the same, hopefully more of what we saw at the end of last year when Perez was a bit closer uh, to Verstappen and was, as we saw in the finale, but... Um, was close enough to disrupt Mercedes' strategy. Uh, yeah. So I think we will see that. Um, you know, hopefully Perez can, uh, you know, start right from where he left off, and maybe the new rule shakeup will move the car a little towards him or at least something that he can work with that can get it towards him. Um, but, you know, from the 
at least the first couple practice sessions, it doesn't look like it looks closer to the beginning of last year, you know, the, the gap, you know, obviously it's just Friday. We'll see what happens tomorrow in qualifying. Um, but I'm not optimistic after seeing so far. And even the, the, the second test, the second three days of the test, Perez just still looked too far off of Hamilton's times. Now those times are all, you know, suspect and up in the air. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping we see that, that Perez that's close this year, but um, I'm, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, practice in Bahrain, which was just today, sessions one and two. He uh, finished in P7, about a second behind uh, Verstappen. So a second off is, it's a lot, obviously, but it's hard to say what do these numbers mean exactly. And he is, you know, two positions ahead of Hamilton. Um, So, you know, hard to know what to make of these numbers, but, you know, he's up there somewhat in the mix. And, you know, you just go back to P3 today and you're six tenths behind Verstappen. So um, he's kind of, you know, right up there with uh, Verstappen and Leclerc aside. He's kind of right up there. Yeah, yeah. It really starts to compress once you get, you know, past the, the first three or four. Um, I, we, we'll know tomorrow. We'll see tomorrow, at least uh, initially, uh, how, how he's faring with the, with the new car. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it leads us basically into, you know, Red Bull going back to the test. You know, the second test, they had sort of that problem-free, you know, this is our – you know, we got through our programs, pretty much got a lot of laps in, good reliability – when we when we put the low fuel in and the soft tires, we got a quick run and top the timesheets. You know, a, a great, uh, boring but great test for Red Bull. Yeah. I feel like free practice has gone at least the second session exactly the same way. And again, looking at Max Verstappen taking the fastest driver of Red Bull, um, I think that was even his comment about free practice today was we got through our uh, standard program or something like that. He used like a standard mm. or conventional or you know we we got to the day. The, the language they use all the time when you're 15 races into the season and they've got their weekend routine down and everything, they got through their program, had a good trouble-free boring day. Um, I'm paraphrasing. No, he didn't use the word boring, but that's doesn't bode well for everybody else. You know, if the first practice sessions of the first race of a rule shakeup, it's just business as usual. Right. And they're on the top of the timesheet. So um, to me, the, so again, we won't know anything till tomorrow. Um, but Red Bull certainly looks uh, pretty quick, um, at least on on Verstappen's side of the garage. Yeah. All right. Well, um, anything else on Red Bull before we move on to Mercedes? I don't really think so. I think we're ready to go to Mercedes. As you know, just like their their test and their practice sessions today, sort of what's there to say when they have a a normal day and they get through their programs and have no problems? You know, yeah. that's what happened. You know, Mercedes didn't quite have the same uh, no, same practice session, which we'll get to. Not quite. Okay, well, let's move on to Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes has been involved in F1 on and off in various capacities since F1's origins in the 50s. And, of course, Mercedes provides power units to other teams today and has done so, you know, throughout the years. Uh, but as far as the current uh, Mercedes F1 team, that began in 2010 when they bought the Braun team. The team principal, of course, is Toto Wolf, or as my very German mother would say, Toto Wolf. And of course, the driver lineup, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. So Mercedes has won eight constructors championships, eight in a row uh, from 2014 to 2021. 
They've won nine drivers' championships, dating back to two in the 1950s uh, for Fangio, and then uh, 2014 to 2020 straight. Um, all of those Hamilton except Charles. Oh, 2016, Nico Rosberg. Very good. Sound soundly defeated Lewis Hamilton. And <laughs> well done. Barely defeated Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. And uh, constructor performance is, is easy to summarize because, as I just said, they've won uh, eight in a row. So I uh, usually go back five years to see what the trend is. Well, here we can go back eight, and it's first every time. Um, but as we mentioned earlier in the Red Bull discussion, Red Bull really gave Mercedes a run for the money uh, in 2021 for the constructors. Yeah, just a, a long period of dominance. And I've been through a few of these, and it just it makes it, it can make it so boring. You know, yeah. so I was just looking for anybody to to knock Hamilton down. But I was doing the same thing in, in the Michael Schumacher heyday in the mid 2000s. I mean, it just somebody else, please just yeah. let, let it be somebody else. Yeah. So last year it was finally somebody else with the driver's title. Mercedes still picked up that that constructor. So that's got to be a record, right? Eight, eight straight constructors titles. Impressive. I don't know. Maybe Ferrari or McLaren potentially could have uh, had that straight, kind of streak. Though, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's impressive it makes you sort of forget that it can't change. You know, things, you know, rarely don't change quickly in Formula One. So you get this period of dominance and you, you start to forget how volatile it yeah. was before. And it makes situations like this where big rules shake up. And today maybe Mercedes is struggling. No one, you know, can believe it. And nobody could believe they're struggling because, you know, of course it's Mercedes. They always say that, right. you know. Um, but... This could actually be them struggling. I, I don't know. It would make it more interesting and make it more exciting. It would. Um, but it's also hard to count them out. I mean, you've you got to figure it's not going to be long before they're, before they're up there. Yeah. I mean, it, we could be literally on the eve of, you know, the changing of the guard after whatever, seven or eight years here. Uh, we'll find out tomorrow. And what do you think uh, we'll find out in uh, practice three or we got to wait for qualifying to really know i mean i think you absolutely have to wait for qualifying um you know they always say wait for tomorrow does that include practice three or not you know i, I think they probably have the engines almost all the way turned up in p3 in their qualifying simulations you know i think it just gets progressively dialed up you know obviously different teams do it differently red bull tends to wait a little longer than everybody else to turn them up at least last year they did yeah. Um, so I, we won't truly know until qualifying, but the, the qualifying sims um, tomorrow will be pretty instructive in, in P3. And then, of course, the long runs, you know, when you can and, uh, get a truer picture of race pace from that. I'm, though, I'm, you know, for me, I always kind of default to judging outright speed of a car and a driver by qualifying. It's just the, you know, the purest in me, I guess. Not to say yeah. that race pace obviously is the is truly the more important in, in some ways, but not to say that uh, yeah, I'm not interested in that. But I, I'm always going to go first to that qualifying results, as I've always done with the driver comparisons. I go to that qualifying comparison first because I feel like that tells me the best indication of who's the fastest. You you said qualifying sims. Yeah, they do their qualifying simulation runs. They do like a they go out there and. Um, just you know, do a hot lap basically. Oh, during there. practice, like yeah. low fuel hot yeah. lap. They okay. do that in every like in in practice too. You see, but their times are all set in the middle because they'll go put on the softs. They'll do a qualifying run, see how they do how the softs one, and then they'll go do long runs on the various tires to see how they do over different laps, so they know what tires that their strategy they're going to use mm. on, mm. on on Sunday. I see. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to the drivers. We'll start with Lewis Hamilton. 
36 years old, born January 7th, 1985. He's British, and he is, of course, the seven-time F1 driver's champion, dethroned in dramatic and controversial fashion uh, last year in the finale. I'll summarize his F1 career briefly. Debuted in 2007 with McLaren. Drove with McLaren 2007 to 2012. Won his first driver's championship with McLaren in 08. Um, and Almost won 07. Did he? Almost won his rookie year. Yeah, yeah. That's a way to. He had a, a lot of testing miles, but you know he announced himself in F1 pretty, pretty early. Um, moved to Mercedes in 2013, and he's been there since. So 2022 will be his 10th year with the team. Wow. And of course, he's won six more uh, drivers' championship titles uh, with Mercedes. Yeah, his time at Mercedes has really pushed him, at least statistically, into the stratosphere. Yeah, and his seven championships, of course, is tied for the most all-time with Michael Schumacher. And probably one or two more, maybe, in him before he retires. How how much longer he sticks around. You know, if if this year they they can't put a championship challenge together, you know, you don't want to count him out for next year. So, But it'd be interesting if he doesn't win an eighth title before when those two years are up, if he sticks around and try to win one, or if he's happy with seven and, and retires. Yeah. My guess is that would make him hungrier and just really want it that much more to get that eighth one. Yeah, you got to yeah. be pretty hungry to have seven of them. Yeah. Um, Damon Hill recently made a, a few comments about that, saying that he put all he had into it to get the one that he has. And he says, I may have had another one in me, you know, but seven, you know, it's like no way yeah. or, you know, something like that. It, it takes a lot. It takes, you know, it takes all you. It takes your commitment and um, a lot of guys, after they get that once or one or two, what's you know, why do I need five more? I'm not willing to work for it. But Hamilton mm. obviously, obviously is. So yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. I think not getting the eighth title <laughs> might keep him going longer than you know. But if he gets it, right, is he definitely he's gone done. then? Yeah, then too. I don't know. You yeah. know, he's still young enough where he could do this another ten years probably if he wanted. Yeah, um, he's got 288 career F1 starts, 182 podiums. 103 wins, which is amazing. Out of 288 starts, 103 yeah. wins. More than one out of every three races he wins. Wow, yeah. Well, I mean, that that's, you know, when you're in that dominant car like yeah. that, you know, you can't build stats like that, um, you know, if you're not. But on the same token, even if you are, again, even just on the burnout factor, most guys don't want to stay. They're happy with their two, three title, whatever. Um, but beyond that, it also, everything else it takes to, to stay at that level and yeah, it's, it's, uh, unprecedented really, even, even yeah. comparing it to Michael Schumacher, maybe not unprecedented to Schumacher. He pretty much did the same thing, but those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Hamilton has career F1 points. He has 4,165.5. That sounds like a lot of points, but that's basically one NASCAR season. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, not, well, not nowadays. I think the points, Points table NASCAR's changed, but let's let's go back like fifteen years. You know, two thousand five, two thousand. Tony Stewart Stewart's racking up, you know, five thousand points a season or something. And and of course, in twenty twenty one, finished second in the drivers' championship. And of course, he had you know several wins and multiple poles last year. So we always do best qualifying position and best finish. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. sort of with both for Stoppard and Hamilton, a lot of these stats kind of become meaningless. We all know um, how great they were last year. Yeah, Hamilton started karting at age eight. Uh, I don't know how much of his pre-F1 CV matters at this point. 
um, started carding at eight. Uh, you know, by 13, he already had a contract with McLaren to be part of their driver development program. And that first contract at 13 had an option for a future Formula One seat. So uh, pretty early with that. But he, uh, you know, approached Ron Dennis at the BRDC Awards, I think, that he was at for a karting, I think, when he was 10. Um, Ron Dennis owned McLaren at the time. Um, yeah, or at least ran McLaren. I don't know if he, how much ownership he had. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he he went up to him and, you know, he had the had the goods, had the reputation from what he'd won. And uh, I think it took a number of years, but eventually uh, Ron Dennis came back calling. So, yeah. Um, pretty amazing. Pretty ballsy. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, by 13, he's ready to go and – he pretty much on their golden boy up the ladder. You know, he won yeah. F3. He won the GP2, what was, you know, what F2 is now, championship, and then goes to F1. Um, I have to throw in there how many testing miles he had, but he steps in as a rookie and just immediately is challenging and on the pace of the two-time defending world champion. So there's no <laughs> – what else can I say? Yeah. I mean, What that's, else can uh, you say? Okay, well let's uh, let's move to George Russell and set up the other Mercedes driver here. Um, Quite Russell, a seat to be jumping into. Yeah. After what we just said about Hamilton, right. Russell's new to the, the seat, except for one one race a couple years ago. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing position for a 24 year old to be in. Uh, born February 15, 1998. Like Hamilton, he's British. Um, and little summary of his F1 career. Debuted in 2019 with Williams and has raced uh, raced with uh, Williams through 2021. And, of course, now he's he's moved over to Mercedes for just starting this season. He has 60 career F1 starts, one podium, that uh, spa race in 2021. Or I think it was like, was it like a two-lap race after the rain? Yeah, they may have done zero laps, huh? Yeah, it was something yeah, strange. Yeah. Well, I think, didn't they have to do two to make it official or something? Uh, I don't know. I know points were basically awarded for qualifying. Maybe it was two uh, laps under the safety car. That's okay. probably what it was. Yeah. And that was also his best finish, P2. He has 19 career F1 points. And 2021 finished 15th in the Drivers' Championship. His rookie season, 2019, he finished 20th. 2020, he finished 18th. And then, uh, again, last year up to 15th. Yeah, and he never really had a, a car at all, except for the sub and the Mercedes. He, yeah. he never had a car at all. The car was just so terrible. Um, but he's shown so much in that car that he looks that good. Now, sometimes when you're shine like that in a really bad car, it can make you look better than you are. But I don't think that's yeah. what anything anyone thinks here about George Russell. No. Um, you know, he... <laughs> Latifi was convincingly defeated in qualifying, right? <laughs> so George was the one that did it. It was one time over two full seasons, and I think Kubica, Kubisa, um, the first year, uh, Russell was at Williams, I think that was a zero, you know, for Kubisa. And, you know, he, he was struggling, too, to, to get back into Formula 1. But he just looks phenomenal, right? He just looks like a, his, his – <laughs> Priest uh, F1 CV is the another golden boy, uh, 2017 GP3 champion, 2018 F2 champion, uh, started karting at the age of eight. Um, personally, for me, I'm really excited about this pairing, and I'm excited to see how well Russell does. I don't, for the, for the boredom factor, I'm happy to see Mercedes, at least for a little while, slip down the order, but I'd hate to see that at the expense of Russell. I mean, yeah. let's just say something crazy happens, and... You know, Mercedes is the third and fourth best team for the next five years. Somebody else dominates like that. Well, Russell 
everyone, you know, you've got to think this guy's a multiple world champion, right? Yeah. Um, what if Russell never wins another race because Mercedes never gets into this position? You know, I'm not, right. I hope that doesn't happen. I'm saying that that's the kind of thing that, that can happen in Formula One. I want to say one thing about Russell before we get into any more of a comparison, which I don't know how much we need to, yeah. um, before we talk a little about Mercedes um, prospects for this year. I don't know. I've never heard anyone else say this. I'm sure I'm not the first person to notice this or even say this, but uh, he looks exactly to me like his countryman, George Mallory, who was mm. one of the first people to possibly the first people to summit, summit Everest. Um, you know, in the failed expedition in the 20s, I believe, uh, he and um, Edward Irvine uh, you know, were last sighted, uh, what, past the third step or something uh, on their way to the summit. Um, and they did eventually find uh, at least Mallory's body. I think about twenty years ago. They both um, died. They both died. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure they ever find Irv, or ever found Irvine's body. He apparently carried the camera for the expedition, so he may uh, have had a record if they had actually got to the summit or not. Anyway, he looks exactly like George Mallory to me. You know, just on reflection, I haven't. Uh, Put a picture of each right. of them side how do by you, side. How are you familiar with this, uh, like vi- vintage historic uh, uh, mountain climbing? Is this a oh, hobby I, it's of just yours? another interest of mine. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we could talk about Reinhold Mesner. You know, uh, no, I don't soloing know. Everest without oxygen. The first person to do that. Oh um, wow! Yeah, so interesting. Uh, <laughs> are you have you closely been following the Shackleton uh, ship being found? Is that also in that I did kind see of category? That. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That's a little bit less uh, in my interest, different. but. Uh, uh, I did see that. Yeah, that's uh, pretty amazing, and the uh, the state of preservation of that is amazing as yeah. well. Yeah, we're di- we're diverging quite a bit from a little bit from Formula One. What is but, this podcast uh, about? Yeah, <laughs> K two. That's what this podcast is about. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to F one. Where yeah. were we? Well, I think just you know the comparison of of Russell and Hamilton obviously is something everybody's interested in seeing this season. Hamilton looked like he struggled a little bit uh, so far in pre practice too, compared to compared to Russell. Yeah, he did. He um, let's see, we've got the stats here. In free practice two, he Hamilton finished ninth, and uh, Russell was up in fourth. Yeah, and of course it doesn't mean anything. Obviously, yeah. Mercedes is struggling with the car a bit right now, but and Russell seemed to get more out of it. That could be all kinds of different factors. I know they were trying different things with the floor. I think he had reverted back to Russell. Had Russell had used the floor or something before? So they're obviously doing different programs, and we'll find out a whole lot tomorrow. And you know. Even in this period of domination, we would see Botas start off the weekend better than Hamilton quite a bit. Hmm. Hamilton would take his time to get, to maybe iron it out or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, and, you know, that, that, that could be all we're seeing today, too. Um, yeah. If two, three races from now we're talking about there's that difference between them and qualifying in favor of Russell, um, then it's something to talk about. But I think it's anything's premature right now. You know, Russell may just take a year to learn from Hamilton and, you know, or, you know, and Hamilton retires and Russell then, you know, or, or he'll butt heads with them and try to try to challenge him. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I don't think we know that yet. <laughs> right. So um, much that we're about you know, to learn. But it's, it's so hard to not want to read into one data point like this. So far, Russell seems to be having less problems with the car. Yeah. It did, uh, in, in the search for some additional data to read these uh, tea leaves, I went back to 2021 Bahrain FP2 results. Okay. Yeah. And Hamilton uh, was third fastest. Verstappen was first. Um, and Hamilton, Hamilton was about two and a half tenths uh, off Verstappen's pace. Lando Norris was second. Um, but Botas was right there, too, in fifth. Uh, 
to your earlier point. But yeah, compared to last year, Hamilton is not, uh, it's not looking good. Well, and it, it's interesting. The last year they had some problems in testing and the order looked similar that they weren't going to be up front. And then Hamilton ended up winning the first race. Two and a half tenths isn't that, you know, that much. This year, obviously, it's, it's, it's much more. And everybody keeps bringing up, well, are, is Mercedes just sandbagging? Because every year they say, oh, our car's a diva, right. we have problems. And then they turn out to be incredible. Uh, so, but this year does seem to be different. Everybody said that Hamilton said that um, we have real problems this year, and he, he yeah. reiterated it after practice that that we're you know, um, I think he had said in the test that they won't be challenging. He didn't think they're ready to challenge for wins yet. Of course, they feel there's there's potential in the car, but the sandbagging thing. I mean, in t- you know, we're not talking much about sandbagging anymore, right? In practice, but in testing, the sandbagging. I don't I don't think that's what Mercedes was doing at all. Um, it's possible. What does sandbagging really get you? You know, everyone's going to find out. You have to show your cards eventually at the first race, and when the last test is a week before the first race, showing your cards there as opposed to in qualifying at the first weekend, it doesn't really matter much. There's not much people can do in a week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking you might sandbag to, you know, make your competitors a little more complacent with where they are, and they think, oh, we're where we need to be. We don't have to do much. But yeah, at this point, when you get yeah. that close, it just uh, it doesn't make sense when and, you're getting you know, that close to the race. You know, none of these guys are complacent. You know, they have whole yeah. organizational structures to make sure that everything is as efficient as possible and whatever. So it's not like 40 years ago when you got, you know, or however many years ago when you got five guys in a barn, literally in a barn, building a, a car. You know, um, yeah, they'll get complacent. But then, what is the point of Mercedes' uh, kind of historic sandbagging? Uh, if we assume this year's different, it's not sandbagging. They really have problems what was the point in in recent years of doing that i don't know if i would define what they were doing with sandbagging just the playing it down um or you know it's mild at at best so you know but i that is the difference this year is they really seem to be having problems that aren't just a little sleight of hand or misdirection yeah Uh, the porpoising right that's what everyone's been talking about porpoising is a verb now Uh, has emerged has emerged on the scene as a verb Every team has struggled with it. Obviously, the ground effect error has thrown a bit of the, uh, I think the wind tunnel data doesn't quite, you know, exactly reflect reality at this point in the CFD. Same deal. You know, some teams have dealt with it better than others. Red Bull and Ferrari seem to have dealt with it better than others and at least mitigated it quite a bit. Mercedes has had trouble. They seem to, the porpoising seems to be a big deal for them. And look, what do you do to fix the porpoising? Teams are having to make kind of a, a tough choice, a compromise, because the lower you run the car, the lower you run the car, the more porpoising you're going to get. And this is a ground effect car, right? So the height you run the car is mm-hmm. the, the whole point of the, of the game. So they can raise it up, make less downforce, and make the porpoising better. So teams are probably having to make some... At the expense of downforce. At the expense of downforce, right. So teams are having to make that compromise, and some teams will be more and less willing than others to reduce the performance to, you know, maybe, you know, what the drivers can and can't can't live with. So how do you do that besides that? How do you try to fix the porpoising? Well, obviously there's a... Obviously, there's different ways to do that, and they've tried to uh, attach cables to the floor that'll help the floor flex less at those locations. Mm. The other thing you can do is stiffen the car up. Mm-hmm. You stiffen the car up, you don't give up downforce, you give up grip. Mm-hmm. So you're not gonna corner as, as quickly. And that's what we can see with the Mercedes and, and I think a few other teams, but corner 10, I believe, is kind of a, a telltale corner 
for the track and a corner that you need to really carry a lot of speed into and get a good exit from to make a good lap time. Mercedes has struggled there most of the test. The inside front wheel has tended to lock up and it'll cause them to run wide. And apparently they were missing it a lot. Um, but Hamilton, that sharp left-hander. Yeah, I believe yeah, it's kind of a, a down. Straight, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Hamilton especially. Um, so I think the Aston Martin maybe have trouble with that as well. But that kind of tells you that they're maybe running their car a little stiffer to help the porpoising, but mm. then it's causing them there. Ferrari and I believe Red Bull sort of didn't put a wheel wrong in that corner almost all weekend. Yeah. Uh, so that looks to be kind of you know the problem. Well, what what is what are we to make of the fact that okay Mercedes has problems, but we see Russell ahead of Hamilton in um, both practice one and practice two um and and russell in practice two uh was really right there with signs in uh third yeah but um, you got he was six tenths off of verstappen which right is a lot. you got to compare the quickest driver in each team you know you compare them but why why is hamilton another we four tenths behind uh, behind russell we don't know anything about fuel loads um you know maybe he was held up a little on that run this is basically based on one lap you know yeah um one hot run one qualifying simulation also they may have been you know like i said they were trying different floors and stuff this is not the point of this isn't to beat your teammate practice the point is to get the car faster so they may have been on different programs that's what i think is is the answer um, yeah they're trying different things with the different cars to see what might be helping exactly yeah yeah. and you know they'll cooperate um, with data and everything overnight try to find the best that works for the makes the car go fastest rather than what necessarily each driver is wanting at that that moment the porpoising is obviously a, a problem for the Mercedes. The other thing everyone's talking about with Mercedes is the side pods. And it I don't want to say it makes me roll my eyes and makes me chuckle, but it, it is very neat this year. The, I think one of the areas, maybe the only area that teams can really be innovative is the side pods. And we've seen so many different shapes. Ferrari has a much different side pod uh, you know, to Mercedes and then you, Red Bull and AlphaTauri at least seem to kind of be more a little more traditional how they've been doing the side pods before, but with a drastic undercut under the inlet, uh, a channel that goes um, in and down um, is also there. And Mercedes uh, so is the ones that are kind of indented, like it looks like you, you crush the metal in a little bit or something. Well, yes, it does look like that, but... <laughs> I mean, it's nothing new, Mercedes side pod shape. If you look at Formula cars over the past, you know, since they've been putting wings on cars, not just Formula One, but Indy cars and, you know, everything down the road, Formula Fords, the side pod shape has been, they've tried everything. They've played Mm. with every possible side pod shape you can think. What Mercedes has done is flipped it upside down. If you think of uh, Red Bull side pod, everybody else's side pods. The inlets at the top. And if you look at the car from the front, if you took a cross-section of the car from directly in front of the inlets, it's like a pair of shoulders that tapers down to a waist, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's wide at the top, and as you go down height of the car, it tapers down inwardly. Mm -hmm. Mercedes has just flipped that. They're narrow at the top, and they taper out to the bottom, okay? So, in a sense, the frontal area hasn't changed. They still have to have the same components um, underneath, they still have to have the ductor. They still have to have the ducting, radiators. That's that sure. not going away. You know, you yeah. can't, and you can only make those things so small. 
this isn't some revolution where they figured out how to make a half-size radiator or whatever. Sure. No, they just flipped the side pods um, effectively over. The triangle has been flipped upside down in a way. So same frontal area. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't reduce drag because I, I'm no aerodynamicist, but I'm just kind of guessing here. Um, the traditional setup that most of their teams are using, that is up in the airstream, uh, probably more so than the bottom that has a whole lot of dirty air coming off the suspension of the front wing and everything else. So that flow probably is a less costly and drag at the bottom than at the top. So Mercedes has basically just flipped, vertically flipped the side pod, the frontal area of the side pod. So instead of starting out wide at the top and tapering down to where the side pod intersects the floor, it tapers outwardly. It starts narrow at the top and tapers outwardly down to where it intersects the floor. So where the side pod intersects the floor, there's less area for Mercedes to shape how yeah. they want to then affect how the under the air flows under the car, under the floor there. Uh, the, they can't shape the top surface of the floor um, nearly as much as Red Bull or AlphaTauri or everybody else who has a standard one could because the side pod is taking up that space now. Because the side pod's sitting on the floor. Yeah. And so when you had a traditional side pod that tapers from a broad at the top, narrow to the floor. Okay, well, you've got some floor on the sides that you can work with and do different things with the air. But you're saying Mercedes has flipped that. So it's now narrow at the top, broad on the bottom. So at the bottom, it's kind of covering the whole floor. You can't do much with the flow uh, at the bottom where, where it's where, covered. Where it matters. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the frontal area might actually be the same, but where that area is might be in a better part of the airstream. So in other words, um, Mercedes may have less drag from the side pods because the top of it is narrower. And that mm. bottom part that has to be wider doesn't get hit with as uh, for forceful air or as um, energetic of air. Okay. And so it doesn't cost the car as much drag. I'm, you know, I'm guessing about this, but yeah. um, I do believe one of the main reasons for doing a side pod like that is to decrease drag. These cars are ground effect cars where the underside of the floor, the shape of that, is used to create suction to suck the car down. You're designing the shape of the underbody floor to create the suction, a Venturi effect. You know, I guess in a way you can consider the whole car an upside down wing in that way, sort mm -hmm. of, but that makes cleaner downforce that has a cleaner wake, you know, which was the point of these ground effect cars, that we would make the downforce from underneath the car instead of from the wings, or, you know, the balance would be shifted right. there. You're still getting some from the wings, of course, of but course, you're yeah. getting a lot from the floor yeah from the floor you're getting you know probably majority from the floor now um, so that creates less of a wake and lets cars run in the corner closer so they can get a run out of the corner and pass down the down the straighter that's the that's the idea well so mercedes has oh, and just uh if i can rudely interject as i like to do does it also would it also it also helps run in a wake because you're not relying on clean air for your downforce as much is yeah that, is that yeah true? i think that's Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, I think that's correct. So, the bottom of the floor, the shape of the bottom of the floor, very important. Well, if you're trying to create suction from the airflow below the floor, you can imagine that the airflow above the floor. If you're thinking of this as an upside-down airflow, or even if you're not, but the air the airflow on the top of the floor is pretty important, right? The mm -hmm. pressure differential is the suction, yeah. right? Um, so, that's why we've seen teams. The traditional side pods undercut right under that. If you look at the floor in that section, 
they're creating a channel, they're creating a flat floor horizontally um, along the lateral line of the car. That allows them to maybe have more control over the shape of the top of the floor as compared to the Mercedes because the Mercedes, that inlet, okay, the inlet is still at the top. They've rotated the inlet in, they tucked the inlet in instead of having it stick perpendicular out. But the whole, the overall frontal area of the side pod tapers down. They have less of that floor on the top of it they can play with because the bodywork yeah. covering the ducting is there instead. So they can't create that channel there. And at the very least, they have less control um, or less variation available in the shape of the floor. Now, where is that shape? That's at the front of the floor. These mm -hmm. cars run with at least some rake where the rear end is higher than the front end. Mm -hmm. So the problem we're having is porpoising. When the car gets too close to the ground, either touches or it's so close that the air stalls, and then it starts over again, starts the cycle, and you bump up and down. Where do you think the floor is most likely to touch or get close where it stalls the air? The car's got rake on the front of the car. Mm -hmm. Probably on the front of the floor, right on the edge there <laughs> of where the side pod inlet is. So if you have less control over what you can do with that flow right there at that critical area, that inlet that was at the top of everybody else's is effectively now at the bottom. The inlet itself isn't, but the frontal area is. The bodywork is there. You can't control that channel. Everyone else has built this deep channel under the inlet. Mercedes can't do that because the side pod is there now on the bottom. They have less area of the floor right at the front there that they can play with okay. to then affect the underflow right there. And so you can see how that gives Mercedes less options to fix the porpoising. Because if the, main, if the problem area of the floor is right around that area at the front of the floor, yeah. that's the part that touches or, or gets close enough to, to the ground to stall the air. Mercedes can't adjust the top of the floor to affect the bottom of the floor's flow differently nearly as much. They have more options, or they have, uh, the other teams have more options to do that. And so maybe, again, I'm not an aerodynamicist. No. I don't know how the other teams would be changing that channel, but they've clearly designed a specific and very different area of that floor to begin with. Um, but at the very least, it could maybe make them less susceptible to porpoising, but probably has that's probably contributing to Mercedes. Maybe they now have to make the car stiffer because they don't have other options yeah. to fix it, and then that's causing the handling problems. You know, this looks kind of bad when you think about it that way, but it's not a bad side pod layout. As I've said, this is nothing mm -hmm. new, yeah. um, and it does decrease drag, or most likely decreases drag. I have seen this, this exact side pod layout in Formula 1 and other Formula cars. Uh, for example... Uh, the Brabham BT46 and our BT44 and 46 both have them. The 46 from 78 was actually a ground effect car. Um, now, the wrinkle there is that they didn't have radiators in there because they actually had nose mounted radiators, uh, but the side pod itself, mm. so it was covering different things, but the side pod itself had that exact slope. Of course, this is 78, so it's a much less complex flat surface. But, yeah. um, but, you know, even in Formula One, other areas of Formula One, they've tried all kinds of different, every side pod you can think of. Um, the Actually, the Vector Formula Ford, I think from like the late 90s, had a triangular, um, actually, inlet. The whole side pod was a triangle shape, and even the inlet was triangular. And, and Swift, uh, 
in the United States in the mid '80s revolutionized form of the Ford by completely eliminating the side pod, putting NACA ducks in the side of okay, the cockpit. Okay, now you're just showing off with <laughs> throwing out NACA ducks. And and the radiator was sat behind the behind the driver. You know, it's it's nothing new. People are calling it the zero side pod. Again, they just flipped it. There's still that funnel area. It's just on the bottom of the side pod instead of the top. Now again. I talked about before that that doesn't mean it doesn't reduce drag because it, it, it probably does uh, but this is nothing new this is just a slightly different arrangement underneath those pods it's pretty similar to what everybody else is is doing um, you know but it's an interesting concept and I think it's really neat because it's so different um, yeah. I haven't looked at Ferraris in nearly as much detail but they have a another which I won't go into now but a mother another uh, non-traditional sort of side pod or at least different than what but okay. most others. Well, could Mercedes change the side pod at this point and say, "Okay, this porpoising is unexpected, or it's worse than we thought. We're gonna we're gonna put these other side pods that we had as kind of a backup plan. We're gonna put those on." Or, or has the car just totally been everything's been designed around everything else, and you can't? It'd be interesting to go back and yeah. look because they remember they debuted this side pod maybe sometime in the middle or at the beginning of the second test. They didn't yeah. run it on the first test. That doesn't mean that they had a traditional side pod on the first test. It might have been like a halfway between. Yeah. Um, but we should go back and look at that. I'm going to do that because I want to see how, how different it was. Yeah, maybe they they can revert back to a, a more traditional setup and that would give them more options on the floor. I have a suspicion that my weighting of this is a little too much. That it, it is pro- it does probably help the other teams uh, adapt to porpoising a little bit, but there are other problems that are causing Mercedes to struggle more um, than Red Bull and Ferrari. Obviously, many other teams on the grid are still struggling um, like Mercedes is. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly hasn't been eliminated by Ferrari or, or Red Bull, but they haven't seemed to make the handling compromises that some of the other teams have had to make uh, in regard to fixing the porpoising. And so that that's why I, I'm just trying to find reasons why Mercedes specifically is struggling, yeah. and this just could could be one. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see if uh, Mercedes can get a handle on that. It's certainly going to be one of the storylines early on in the yeah, season they, here. They will get a handle on it, yeah, right? It is but, Mercedes. yeah, how long is it going to take them? Right. That's the that's What's the it going to cost them? Yeah. Well, great. That will close the book on Mercedes, and that will close our series of team reviews. Um, and we're going to pivot now since – Today was the day of uh, Bahrain uh, practice sessions one and two. We're just going to talk about some uh, some noteworthy things that we noticed during the practice sessions. Charles, you want to start us off? Well, we talked about Mercedes struggles. I, you know, Red Bull. We talked about that as well. They had a, a straightforward program, and you know, it looks the order wise. At least if you go off pre practice two looks that Red Bull looks to sort of have it and Ferrari might be right there. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Leclerc was less than a tenth, I think, off for stopping. Um, you know, we don't know if you lose and blah, blah, blah again. But um, Ferrari, so that Ferrari might be there. You know, this might be a, a two-horse thing. Mercedes isn't there yet, you know, but like I said, we'll, they'll get a handle on their problems and they'll probably be right up there too. And, and if you look at Russell's time, you can they're still third or fourth, fourth fastest. Right? right. So you've got Verstappen first. As you mentioned, uh, Leclerc and the Ferrari, less than a tenth behind Verstappen. Uh, Science, another Ferrari, uh, about six tenths behind Verstappen. Yeah, yeah, Ferrari's 2-3. Yeah, then you've got Russell. And you got to hope that Leclerc time is representative there rather than than Saints again. You know, they might have been running totally different programs. I think for me, the big surprise 
was Haas. And, yeah, you know, that not that notes. long ago we talked about Haas and I was like, you can't climb up the grid. Um, and right. they maybe all this extra time they had compared to everybody else with the wind tunnel caps and the fact that they didn't do any anything last any year other than show up at the track. Yeah. Um, it seems like they're all of a sudden solidly in the midfield um, or maybe even higher. Yeah. Schumacher P8 today and FP2 and uh, Magnuson P10. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. And you know, Schumacher a little bit, a couple positions ahead of, of Magnuson. You know, whereas the other surprise there, um, and again, against what I said, my prediction is McLaren. They look like they're struggling. They did. Um, you yeah. hope that it's the same thing as Mercedes, where it's something they just have a problem with and they have a fundamentally fast car. But, of course, we don't know that at this point. Um, Aston Martin seemed to me to be where I thought they would be. or where Yeah, I let me just mention be. McLaren before you move on to Aston Martin. McLaren, uh, Norris, P11. Uh, and this is an FP2. Uh, Norris, P11, and Ricardo, P18, and only 12 laps for Ricardo. Okay, so 11th isn't as bad as I thought, although we expected McLaren could be knocking on the top top three. Um, yeah. And I know Ricardo has not had – he's had kind of a, Real a tough luck. run of luck in the in testing even. Um, so he hasn't gotten a lot of laps. Um, but, yeah, for me the biggest surprise, and of course obviously goes against my prediction, was Haas. Um, to see them up, see McLaren struggling a little bit. Um, like I said, Aston Martin, kind of, I'm not surprised. And Alpine looked a little better than I, yeah, had, I had, uh, had expected and had predicted, too. Alonzo, Alpine was uh, P5. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. earlier in the session, too, they looked even even better. Um, yeah, I guess you can claw your way back up the grid. Maybe At so. least based on the second practice. Yeah, again, uh, second practice session, who knows, uh, who knows what these numbers mean. So what about you? Any any big surprises for you? Yeah, well, a couple of the, those you mentioned were in my notes, too. Uh, Alfa Romeo also looked good. Botas, uh, yeah. I completely neglected that, yeah. I Bo- blew that one. Oh, no. Botas rebounded from uh, a bad uh, P1, uh, FP1, where I think he, he only got two laps. They apparently had some misfiring, couldn't get the car restarted, and uh, oh, only wow. got two laps in FP1. And then, uh, yeah, FP2 finishes uh, P6, so uh, a second off of Verstappen's pace, a full second, so that's a lot. Well, but, but for that's Alpha a good Romeo, for Alpha. Yeah. That's pretty good, yeah. And I, I know Joe was a bit further down the order um, at the by the end, but just in sort of watching the whole session evolve um, and a bit of free practice one, he looks pretty good. He doesn't, yeah. uh, he doesn't look too shabby for a rookie and doesn't look like he's uh, out of his element, certainly at all. Um, and Botas, you know, if he can be close to Botas this beginning, because Botas looks like he's really uh, uh, sliding into that seat seat pretty well. But they did better. Yeah, that was one I, I forgot to notice, I guess, but they certainly did better than I thought they were going to do. So, yeah, Alpha looked good. Um, we mentioned, or did we mention Ferrari looked continues to look fantastic. Um, they had a similar to Red Bull, it seemed like. You know, not only their – we've already talked about their test was like that, but they had a similar free, free practice one and two. It, you know, they're at the top – setting the times and until Verstappen put his run in until Verstappen put his run in Leclerc looked like the well, Saints is as obviously looked like the class of the field too mm-hmm. um, during during some of these sessions yeah did you think uh, AlphaTauri looked a little off pace uh, Gasly P13 and Sonoda P14 I got that one a little wrong too again I mean I haven't necessarily gotten it wrong we're only in practice yeah. sessions but but just a little bit I felt like I kept saying that, that last year they punched above their weight in the midfield I feel like now they're punching a little below their weight in the midfield you know just based on this yeah so all right well that's a little recap of uh, the practice sessions one and two 
Session three going to be really informative and then, tomorrow, and then uh, qualifying will finally start to get some answers. Just to circle back a little bit on one thing, I really do think that those Mercedes side pods look really cool. Um, not only because yes. they're so different, but they look neat. I hope they can get the car to work in that trim with those pods because um, I'd love to see, I'd love to watch that all year. Yeah, I agree. They do look, the whole Mercedes car looks awesome to me. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad to be back to the silver. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for joining us at the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. If you'd like to reach us, any comments or questions, our email is f1runoffarea at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And on whichever platform you're listening to us on, we'd appreciate you taking a moment to like and subscribe. And look for us soon with our next episode, where finally we're going to have a race to talk about. We're going to recap the 2022 Bahrain Grand Prix. I can't wait. Uh, Me neither. Enjoy the race. We'll see you soon. Okay, we went to car racing. Car racing. Car racing. Car racing.